I want to start at the meat of the issue today, which is the environment is crazier than it's ever been, seemingly. So help me out here. How does it compare to 99 and the dot-com bubble? Straight off, how does it compare? Bill, should we start with you? Sure. And by the way, people that have followed my work will definitely call me out and recognize that I compared where we were to the dot-com bubble five years ago. And I have a little bit of a chicken little reputation issue here. But things are clearly more like 99 today than they were five years ago. So we can continue with the conversation. The things that I think are the same, kind of rapid speculation, you have this kind of unbridled enthusiasm. And in certain sectors, you have valuations that are super tough to support using traditional analytical valuation models. And, you know, that was true then. I think that's true today. The things that I think are different is the speculation's much broader. Even though it's pretty broad then, you have a lot of speculation now where entrepreneurs with lots of cash are attacking incumbents in very traditional industries. Uh, The scale is way larger, both in terms of the amount of money being raised by each company and the burn rate. And I would say that's by 10 to 20x larger than back then a company would go public early. They go public with a million in revenue, but it wouldn't be burning that much. It'd just be pretty nascent. And so there's just way more money and scale at, at play today. And then lastly, you know, back then, I think you still had this belief in market cycles, like that everyone knew it would end. I think right now there's a group of people that have doubt out about that because of some of the Fed's actions in 09 and, and more recently in March of 2020. Wonder if we'll ever have a reset again. And so that part I, feels different to me also. Michael, how do you feel hearing that? Broadly the same as Bill, but you know, for a little context, I was like you in the first one, which is I was young early in my venture career. I had had my first couple of, of exits in one very small public company. And so it surprised me pretty meaningfully when it happened. It felt at the time, candidly, uh, even though I knew it was irrational, like it could go on forever. And I think when you're young, you kind of feel that. And then it didn't. And what I think is, you know, another feature or bug of these exuberant markets is you see all sorts of investors in this area that you never saw before. And perhaps one of the reasons when Bill felt, I think, analytically and perhaps correctly four or five years ago that we were high up and today is he didn't see the flood of, of new investors, what we used to call at the time tourists, who've kind of come into venture capital investing. And there's everybody's investing in venture capital today. I think the other big difference, though, is is it's gone international. So venture capital was decidedly a Silicon Valley and Israel, candidly, investment theme in the late 90s. You almost didn't see it anywhere else at the time. You know, New York wasn't a thing. London certainly wasn't a thing. And there wasn't China yet to the best, you know, early innings. And so it was all about Silicon Valley. Now you're in hundreds of spots around the world with venture capital as an accepted financing model globally. And so it's hard to know how it pulls back when so many markets are in their early phases, to Bill's point earlier, because these tech companies are disrupting traditional businesses. So many, many markets around the world are in early phases. Many industries are in early phases. I mean, it's just much more diffuse. And, you know, it could go both ways. It could collapse kind of globally at the same time, or, you know, you could get different outcomes in different places. That's the kind of element that, that I struggle with, which is like often I take the more negative view and I state my concerns and worries. And the optimists say two things. One, market size is so much bigger than we ever anticipated. We have trillion dollar companies now. And then two, as Howard Mark said in his latest report, there's kind of five new fundamentally game-changing industries to invest in, whereas before we had the web and then the mobile. And it's been very kind of singular in terms of its shifts. And now we have five at once. How do you think about that? And is it just supply meeting demand or is there an imbalance? 
you know, you called this the dot-com crash and then said that Howard Marks said we only had the internet back. People forget that there were two phases to the bubble coming undone. There was the dot-com, which has become famous because of the pets.com commercial, right? So that's what you all think, dot-com, dot-com. But there was a second one in fiber optic communications, which was all the rage and it happened after. That was the second crash afterwards. And if we have time later, I'll read through some data on that that I think people have missed. And so it's hard to know, you know, there may be more areas of technology and certainly new industries that are real with business models. That doesn't mean that when it happens, is in a first and second and third order effect where many of these businesses kind of come undone. I haven't seen this before. What happens when a crash happens? Like, what are the first signs? Like you said there about the PRAFs, is it a trickle down from publics to privates? What happens and how does it literally unravel? Because I haven't seen this in my working career. Yeah, I don't think you feel the first part of it. I mean, I'll give you a data point right now. You know, people were forwarding around some charts on Twitter that showed a lot of the non-SAS, non-FANG, mid-cap public companies, they're already average cut in half right now. In the past six months, no one's really paying attention to it because the SaaS stocks are still super high and like you don't hear much discussion of it. But we could have already started right now. I mean, that's how it would feel, right? Like Michael said, like one sector falls out of favor. People dismiss that it's a correction. They say, oh, well, those companies just weren't as good, which is exactly what happened when Michael, I can remember the all the investors that invested in telecom infrastructure, when the dot-com burst busted, they said, oh, well, you guys were just stupid doing those stupid internet companies. Our stuff's real. And then, voila, boom, their bust was actually bigger from a financial impact standpoint. But there's one thing that we just don't know how it would ever happen again, which is capital scarcity. So in 01 and then in 09, we capital became scarce. People didn't know how they would raise their next round. Like, And people thought about you know virtually putting cash under their mattress. They were worried in 09, Morgan Stanley was going to go out of business. And you had just availability of cash shrink excessively. That time period in March of 2020 was about two weeks. And then the Fed came in heavy and brought all this money and everyone was a contrarian and bought on the dip. And so it didn't happen. And so the real question that I would have about a near-term correction is, you know, would the Fed, if things started to fall off the rails, would the Fed try and, and just overfund and get across the gap again? Or have we run out? Like, have we just exhausted the supply of what's possible on that front? And I don't think the greatest minds on the macro side know the answer to this question right now.